today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to chapter 11, verse 1. If you are using the Pew Bible, you can, that can be found on page 957. This is a long passage, but it's one of a more beautiful and uh, one of rich theological texts that we can encounter in the New Testament. Uh, let's stand and read God's word together. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drink from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown into the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. No grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not, you, not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifices they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is said before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, 
this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek in my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Something that we know for certain is that we will all make mistakes. The key to life is what we do after we make a mistake. And the only way that we can gain experience is if we learn from our past mistakes. First and foremost, we need to be aware of the mistakes that we made. Since last uh, November, my mother has uh, moved in uh, with me. I knew that there was going to be some adjustment um, for both Ellie and myself. We determined ahead of time as to what might be really important and what might not be as important. You see, many time decisions are made based upon preference. We kind of prepare our mindset ahead of time. And indeed, there were clashes, I must admit. Sometime we handled it well, and sometime it could have been handled a little better. I remember just getting impatient with my mom when she misinterprets what I say. Oh, when she asked me over and over again something I just told her, I get frustrated because I just felt like she wasn't listening to me. And there are times I get upset. And my dear wife uh, would uh, point out to me that I was getting impatient with her. And that my mom uh, really didn't have any intention to hurt me or frustrate me. She just getting old. She's 96. She can't hear very well. She sometimes forgets. And she helped me to realize that my tone as I talk to her is not very good. My volume at time is not good. So I realized that I said, well, boy, I, I, I need to make some changes. Next time I heard my mom misinterpret something that I said, I say to myself, well, uh, 
she didn't intend to hurt me. I need, I need to give her a little more grace. You know, we all make mistakes. But are we learning from our mistakes? As you know, we have just uh, gone back uh, to studying the First Corinthians last week. We studied uh, chapter 9. And there, Paul used himself as an example of a mature Christian. He disciplined himself and served God properly. Here we see today's uh, scripture reading in chapter 10. Israel, on the other hand, contrasts this with Paul as one who is an example of immaturity. Paul was the mature one, and here Israel was the immature one. We see they overestimated their rights, their privileges, their advantages, their who they are. And they show a lack of self-discipline. Paul begins in this chapter, in chapter 10, by pointing out various mistakes that their forefather made, reminding the Corinthians to learn from their forefathers, learn from the past. We face many challenges making decisions every day. How can we make the right decision? Many times, it's not necessarily a right or wrong decision. It's probably more what might be good and what might be better. How do we make decisions that's not black and white, that's gray? Pause, remind the Corinthians lessons that they need to learn from the past to help them make better decisions moving forward. If you have your bulletins, you could open it up and there's a sermon outline. You can follow along with me. I've divided uh, my message this morning into two sections. First, from verses 1 to 10, looking back, and may we learn from past failures that led to Israel's destruction. In the second part, from verse 11 to the end of the chapter, it's looking forward. May we learn to be united in Christ that leads to deliverance. You see, a wise person is one that learns from the past mistakes. Let us take a look at what led Israel to their failures. As we look back, may we first understand the advantages enjoyed by Israel. Before we look at the second part of that first section, the apostasy committed by Israel that led to their destruction. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Let's take a look at verse 1 to 4. 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the clouds and in the sea, and all ate the spiritual food, the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul starts out by saying, I do not want you to be unaware. In other words, wake up, guys. Pay attention. Learn from what I'm going to tell you about the past. Recall what has happened to your forefathers. Don't be ignorant about the past history. The Israelites were greatly blessed by God where they were set free from the bondage of the Egyptians, where they were slaves. And God sent Moses to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh. God demonstrated his power and authority through the ten plagues. And after God used Moses to lead his people to the promised land. On the way to the promised land, God provided five advantages enjoyed by Israel. Let me share with you these five advantages. First advantage, all the liberated Israelites enjoyed the supernatural guidance and protection from God through the pillar of cloud. See, as they were traveling to the promised land, it was a cloud. That shows God's presence. And, and, and they were to follow it. When the cloud moved, they were to move. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. Wow, isn't that wonderful? Understand God's presence with them all the time. Second advantage. All the liberated uh, Israelites passed through the sea and experienced God's power and deliverance as the Lord parted the Red Sea, enabling them to walk on dry ground. When the Egyptian soldiers came to chase them, the Lord closed the sea, and the soldier drowned. God protected his people. Third advantage. All the liberated Israelites were all baptized into Moses. See, the word baptized talks about identification. Israelites were able to identify, identify and share in the deliverance of God through Moses' intervention and leadership. See, the fourth advantage See, that all the liberated Israelites enjoy spiritual food. God provided supernatural bread from heaven called manna. And not only that, um, they, that lasted for 40 years while they were in the wilderness. That is a long time. God provided for them daily all that period of time. Fifth advantage, all the liberated Israelites enjoy spiritual drink as they were going through the desert. We need to remember that there were some two million people that were moving from Egypt 
to the promised land. You know, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of drink. Can you imagine going up to a McDonald's and says, well, I want two million hamburgers and two million Coca-Cola drinks. God provided for his people. These liberated Israelites were not only set free from the bondage of slavery, but God guided them. God protected them. God provided for them. They received all kinds of advantages as people of God. Now, similarly, the Corinthians, as Paul was writing to them, they also have advantages of being people of God. The Corinthians were also liberated from the bondage of sin because Christ gave himself up as a substitutionary atonement at the cross. They have been delivered from the penalty of sin as well as from the power of sin. The Corinthians have experienced the miraculous deliverance from God. The Lord has promised to be with them, the baptism as well as the Lord's Supper was given to them as two ordinances. Jesus is the bread of life, and he is the living water. Christ promised to meet their needs. Both the Israelites as well as the Corinthians had a lot of advantages as being people of God. However, these advantages or rights or special privileges that they have did not prevent them from falling into sin. Paul had the Corinthians to look back, to learn from the failures that led to Israelites' destruction. We've seen the advantages enjoyed by Israel. Now let us look at the apostasy committed by Israel in verses 5 to 10. Again, verse 5, it says, Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do, do, do not adulterers, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ in the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. In spite of all the advantage that we just went through earlier in verses 1-4 that, that, that the Israelites enjoy, yet it did not guarantee them success. Sadly, most of them experienced God's judgment as they turned away from God. Instead of being appreciative of what God's been doing, they turn away from God. We see in verse 5 here, 
where God was not pleased with the Israelites. Themselves from entering into the promised land. Even Moses were not permitted to enter. Only Joshua and Caleb and, and those that were under 20 year old, the, the younger generation, the older generation were judged, and they were not permitted to enter into the promised land. See, there were consequences to their sins and to their rebellion. They might, we might hear some of these strong Corinthians asking, well, what does that have to do with us? Paul wants to make clear to the Corinthians that the past history was to be an example and also a warning to them. We see that it was repeated two times in verses 6 and 11. Paul basically was saying, hey, learn from the past. It is important for all of us to spend more time to reflect, to reflect more, to take a step back to assess how things are going. And particularly when we're in the midst of problems and challenges, ask ourselves, what lessons can I learn from this? How can I do this differently next time because the same scenario is going to happen again and again? And too often, we make the same mistakes over and over again. In this passage, we see four areas that were pointed out that led to judgment from God. Namely, one, idolatry. Two, sexual immorality. Thirdly, testing God. And fourthly, grumbling. When the Israelites disobey and they, they receive punishment, we want to avoid judgment, avoid these, these sins. As you recall, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the law, where, where, where the Ten Commandments was also included in it, the people became impatient, waiting for Moses to come down. And after an extended period of time, and Moses did not return, they said, well, he, he's not coming back. We, 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 we need to set up another God. And they brought out their goal, and, and, and they, 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 they made a golden calf, and they, and they bowed down to worship this golden calf as the Egyptian did back in Egypt. Not only that, but we've seen the Israelites indulging in sexual immorality, testing God, grumbling. When their expectations were not met from God, they were tempted to turn away from God to other idols. May we be aware that Satan is out to do all that he can to turn us away from God. And one of the effective ways is to get us to overestimate our abilities, our rights. May we not grow overconfident in our abilities to overcome temptations. Thinking that we're more spiritual, we're, we're, we're mature. We can handle it. 
Paul uses the Israelites as his example to warn the mature believers there in Corinth that their experience must be balanced by caution. Well, we might not worship a golden calf as an idol today, but idol is really anything that we allow to sit on the throne of our life. For some of us, as students, it might be studying. That could be our idol. For some of us that are parents, our kids could be our idol. Video games can be an idol. Money can be an idol. Serving too much at church can be an idol. Or just pursuing retirement can be an idol. So we take a look at the situation of the Israelites and their failure. What might have caused them to fall into these sins? Although they experienced so many advantages or rights or privilege of being children of God. I believe... I believe both the Israelites as well as Corinthians were overconfident of their rights as liberated people. They overestimate their rights and their advantages. And we can see this in verse 12. It says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed, lest he falls. Paul warns the Corinthians Christians to be careful. When they become prideful over their faith, they are most vulnerable to falling, to yielding, to temptation. If we're not careful, we can also fall as well, just like the Israelites. No, we uh, as Christians... Uh, it's easy for us to compare ourselves with others. Measuring spirituality, you know? I'm pretty spiritual. I come to church every week. I go to Sunday school. I go to small group. I, I help out in the children in ministry. And um, yeah, we be careful. Of falling into self-righteousness. Where we rely, if we, we're not careful, we rely more on ourselves instead of relying on God. So, we've talked about looking back. We've learned from the past ex failures that led to Israel's destruction. Now, I like to look forward. We might learn to be united in Christ that leads to deliverance. Here we'll focus on three subpoints. We're going to focus on, on, on the Lord. First, the faithfulness of God. Secondly, the fellowship with God. And thirdly, the freedom in God. Let's first start off by looking at the faithfulness of God. 
knowing that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. None of us are exempt from Satan's temptation. Now, temptation in itself is not sinful. It, it becomes sin when we yield to those temptations. Although we are tempted, God assures us with wonderful promises based upon his faithfulness. So let's take a look in verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, in the midst of temptation, we need to rely on the Lord who is faithful. We're not alone. We can be assured that God is with us when we realize our weaknesses and at the same time, God's strength. It would be natural for us to turn to the Lord to resist temptation. God is not going to remove the temptation by facing it and remaining strong. It will stretch our faith. We are comforted in this passage knowing that whatever temptation we face, God's still in charge. He says that he will not allow it to be too strong where we cannot stand up against it. There exists no temptation that a believer cannot resist. God promised to give his people strengths to resist and to, and to show us a way out. And we thank the Lord for not giving us something too difficult to handle. This was a particularly extra busy week uh, for me. I knew things were going to be very tight. And there seems to be even no margin that I have. As I was working on my sermon yesterday, um, my mom uh, was behaving kind of an unusual way. She was extra tired. She seems to be in balance. She seems to be a little bit more confused. While she was watching TV, she fell asleep. And when it was lunchtime, I went to try to wake her up, but there was no response. I shook her, spoke very loud to her, no response. Um, I, I, was, I was concerned. I, I took her to ER yesterday. I go, wow, how am I going to finish all my work today? Um, and I remember here in verse 13, my God's promise will not let me be tempted beyond my ability, but he will provide a way of escape. 
my mom uh, had a mini stroke, and she stayed overnight last night in the hospital for observation. And I thank God for giving me the strength to get all my work done. No matter whatever temptation, trials, difficulties that we might encounter, God is there for us. May we seek him and claim his promise because he is faithful. When we unite with God, then it will lead us to deliverance. It starts with the faithfulness of God. The more we know God, the more confidence we have in him. And when we unite with God, we also fellowship with God. We see this passage points us back to issue of eating idol meats as we have uh, been uh, studying in uh, chapter 8, 9, and also here in 10. It, it all connects back to rights, you know, that we as Christians have various uh, Christian liberty. But the question is, how do we go about um, applying our Christian rights to eating food, sacrifice, to idol? The Apostle Paul gave advice in three areas, three situations, three scenarios. First of all, eating meat in the pagan temple. And secondly, eating uh, in, in, in the marketplace or so-called restaurants or eating at home. And we see his first advice for the first scenario of uh, eating idol meat in a pagan temple is that we should flee from idolatry. See, because Corinthians believers had a background worshiping pagan, working in pagan, worshiping in pagan temple, it was not wise to eat in the pagan temple. It can draw them back into former sins. They should run from such temptation. It's in verse 14. It says that we should flee from idolatry. Paul, in the next several verses, speaks of intimate experience of participating in the Lord's Supper, where we're united with Christ as well as with other believers. This section from verses 14 and 22 talks about oneness. When Gentile believers sit at the idol table, it, 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 it talks about fellowshipping. It means fellowshipping with demons. We, we see this in verse 20. It says, No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. See, we as children of God should fellowship with God and not with demons. The Apostle Paul goes on to talk 
for the importance of the Lord's Supper, where we partake the bread and the cup in remembrance of what Christ has done on the cross. But remembering Christ's death, the believers enter into a communion with the Lord. As Jesus said, we really cannot serve two masters. We cannot partake the Lord's food and the devil's food without exposing himself to danger and provoking the Lord to anger. One of the ways that hinder Satan's power is to be united as believers together. God provides great power when believers are united together in Christ, particularly in the Lord's Supper. Satan is doing all that he can to divide the church. But when we are united together, it shows the world that God is for real. We not only to look back, to learn from past failure, when we need to look forward to learn to be united in Christ. We do that in three ways. We, we mentioned about understanding the faithfulness of God, and secondly, the fellowship with God, and thirdly, the freedom in God. Truly, we do have rights as children of God. The question is how we choose to exercise our rights. Rights are to be respected, but never demanded in the expense of God's mission. Our rights need to be respected, but not need to be exercised. Indeed, we are set free from the bondage of sin. We no longer are under the law, but we're under grace. And God gives us guidelines as how to exercise our Christian liberty or Christian rights. Let us take a look in verses 23 and 24. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things built up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. What, what believers can do and what are some of their limitations. Yes, all things are lawful or profitable, but not all things are helpful or beneficial or builds up other people. Too, too often we tend to focus on ourselves. What's it in for me? How am I going to benefit from it? But our Christian behavior needs to focus based upon love. We're to love our neighbors. That no one seeks his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We saw how Paul, in, his, in the previous uh, chapter, in chapter 9, talks about this. Chapter 9, verse 19 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul sees a bigger picture of God's mission to win the loss 
and to be a good testimony for God. In other words, ultimately to glorify God. Again, Apostle Paul talks about this in verse 31. says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What might be beneficial for ourselves might be a stumbling block to a weaker brother. May we not overestimate our rights. And, and may we be more considerate of others. Yes, a Christian brother can partake idol meat because it's just meat. We have the liberty to do it. Yet there are various gray areas that Scripture does not talk about. Some, some Christians make up standards that are not in the Bible. The Bible say that excessive drinking of alcohol is wrong. However, it does not say that we cannot drink alcohol. That's a wisdom issue. We do have the liberty to drink wine. We're not to be drunk. There's a difference between what believers can do and what believers should do. However, if we're having dinner with a former, uh, with, with someone that struggled with alcohol, we have the right to drink wine, but we should choose to give up our rights to drink wine because it might stumble our brother. There are different scenarios as we see in this passage. Well, I mentioned earlier that believers should not eat meat in the idol temple because it is fellowshipping with demons. As we take a look in verses 25 and 26, it says, Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of, them, of thereof. In other words, in a, in a public restaurant, so called, eat whatever is served to you, even if it might be idle meat, because we know that, again, idle meat is just, just meat. However, we see in the next couple of verses, there's a different scenario where we are to withhold our Christian liberty. We see this in verse 27 on. It says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are exposed to, to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if anyone say to you, this has been offered to sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Here's a situation where several believers are eating a meal at a home of unbeliever. And one of these uh, believers warns his fellow believers that the meat that's being offered here has been served uh, to idols. 
Therefore, the stronger believer, although he knows there's nothing wrong with uh, uh, eating uh, uh, idle meat, um, he chooses to refrain from eating the meat in consideration of the conscience of a weaker brother. Because a weaker brother would associate eating idols as worshiping in the, in the idol temple. The weaker brother came out of an idol temple worship, and they see eating idol meat as sin. Nothing we should, nothing we do, should cause another believers to stumble. We do what is best for others, so that they might. Be saved. And we see the final couple of verses, 31 to 33. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything to do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Instead of projecting our standards onto others, may we be sensitive to others. Where we are willing to withhold our Christian liberty for the sake of others. You see, we as God's children should represent God well by being set apart from the world. And may we learn from past failure of overestimating our rights, which leads to disunity and even temptation of idolatry. Instead, may we be united with the Lord who is faithful, who has set us free. And may we be willing to surrender our rights for the sake of unity in the body. Let us bow for prayer. Lord, um, we do have great privileges, rights. Lord, give us wisdom to discern how to um, apply them. There will be times where uh, we need to withhold our liberty for the sake of others so that we won't stumble down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.